Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, maybe get us talking a little bit more, get us connected and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. This morning's co-host and co-producer is Melissa Stanton-Adams. She's the president and executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. And if you were with us last week, you'll know that we've been um, – last week we, we had the, a conversation. We had Melissa as my co-host and co-producer. And we've been talking about the Derek Chauvin trial Um We've been debriefing, and we've been opening up the conversation for folks to call in. And we're continuing our conversation today. So welcome, Melissa. I'm so glad that you're joining me again today for us to talk about this. Good morning, Lori. And I'm always excited to be here with you on Connections Radio. We have such great conversations. Yeah, and we have fun prepping for the show, too. I was Yes, we do. <laughs> and I have to admit that this last week when we did our final prep for the show, um, it was while I was in the car with my husband and his daughter. Uh, we were going to get the Janssen 1 and done vaccine for both of them. I've had at least my first Pfizer, but I won't get my second Pfizer till the end of the month. But we were going downtown, and so I wanted to get the prep in. And so, Melissa, thank you for your patience as we as we talked uh, on the in the car while while driving down to Minneapolis. Uh, no worries. It, I I had a great conversation with you well, and with your husband. Yeah. Well, you got Jeff going. He he's kind of a behind the scenes kind of a guy, uh, but you really opened him up and and got him going in the conversation as well, which was great. Well, I could see us sitting around a bonfire with a couple of uh, drinks and just really having a great conversation. So I would love to hang out with you and Jeff out once COVID is completely we'll, over. We'll do that. You know, We will yeah. do that. You'll come out to we the, the to. farm, uh, you and Cecilia, and we'll have a great time. But I also, I, want, I also want to say that the shots went really well. The convention center, the Minneapolis Convention Center, does a, an amazing job. And I promised to do a shout out to Catherine, who gave my husband the shot. Uh, Catherine was fabulous. She was a wonderful educator, um, delightful. Uh, and she said she might be listening. So, uh, Catherine, if you're listening, thank you. And thank you to all of the uh, health providers that are giving shots and, and caring for COVID patients. Um, you're our heroes, and and we love you for it. And Catherine, if you feel like calling in, we are going to be doing a calling in from the in the second segment on. Um, and the number for everyone is nine five two nine four six six two zero five. And to remind our audience, last week, well, the first Saturdays of the month, we are doing a deep dive into the Re- racial healing handbook, and that's by Annalise Singh. And we were looking into chapter two, which is exploring your internalized racism. And we're going to continue to do that today. We're going to examine what internalized racism is um, about. We're also going to be looking at an unconscious and conscious bias. Um, and one of the things that that is the premise for our shows when Melissa and I do our shows together is that racism impacts us all. And racism can be hard to talk about. And white people especially seem to be afraid about talking about racism. And I think it's because we have fears about saying the wrong thing 
or we don't want to exhaust the person of color with questions or expectations that they're supposed to educate us. But what I want to have the audience know is Melissa wants to be your friend. You know, She essentially mm-hmm. wants to be a person that if you have questions, if you want to call in today and, and talk about your feelings about the, uh, the Chauvin trial, uh, any aspect of the trial, or you want to ask uh, Melissa about her feelings and, and context for you to better understand how racism impacts each other. Um, Melissa wants to do that. that that's that been her mission. Uh, I remember talking to her once about, you know, how some uh, individuals can feel burdened by, you know, white people constantly asking the question. And, and the response that you gave to me, Melissa, was so powerful. It's about grace. It's about taking the moment and having grace in a really, yeah. you know, authentic conversation. Yes. You know, Lori, I also I also tell people, what if Dr. King said, I am just tired of being burdened by white people asking me questions about race. Mm-hmm. I also am tired of what's going on, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to perhaps sit back at home with my family and, and watch the world, you know, destruct before my very eyes. If Dr. King would have had that um mentality i don't know where i would be today so i think of it in terms of paying homage to dr king dr king spoke truth to power dr king educated people about race and racism and he gave his life so that i could you know have the civil liberties that i do so i take it in terms of that and try to help other people out as well so that i can you know Keep that legacy going. Absolutely. And, and and I deeply believe it's about having the conversations and having the difficult conversations. Getting yes. comfortable with being uncomfortable. It it, it it doesn't all fall out nicely. You know, there are yes. things that are difficult to talk about, but you can do it when you're talking with a friend. And that's right. And you have to build friendships, mm-hmm. right? And I think your listeners, our listeners have seen how close our relationship yes. has has become over the course of COVID-19. We've been doing our show. We've been doing all of these shows. And between doing the shows, we meet. And our relationship is growing. You're a white woman. I'm a black woman. And we're able to build a stronger relationship just by by connecting with one another. Obviously, we share stories. Yeah. You've told me stories about what it was like for you growing up. I've told you stories of what it was like for me growing up. And it's not that we're comparing stories or anything like that. We're sharing stories. And and learning. And it becomes that opportunity. How can we you know, pause? And I think maybe COVID-19 has given us some luxury in taking yes. a big pause. Yes. And and not and getting out of our comfort zone of our daily routine and trying to figure it all out. And and figuring it all out is part of, you know, understanding our own story. And and understanding our own story, we want to understand other people's stories. Yes. And and it is the story that helps us connect and it's the story that helps us um get beyond ourselves and start to have an, you know more empathy and less judgment and i think and you know i think it's vulnerability too mm, yeah yeah as we think about the folks who are witnesses at the Derek Chauvin trial those people are putting themselves in a very vulnerable position mm-hmm. to um 
I guess, speak truth to power, right? You're, you're sitting on the stand and, and you're, it's being filmed and the world is watching. But they, like, I, I hate to, to jump into it, but there was someone who said, oh, the 911 operator. She said, call me a snitch if you want to. Right. But there's something wrong here. Right. It was in her gut. I mean, she just, yeah. she goes, I can't explain it. But, it, you know, after years of experience, something wasn't right. And I think we all have yes. that in us that when we know there is something not right. And sometimes yes. we override it because we're in a hurry and you move on to the next thing. But how do we, you know, in any situation where we're faced with racism, take a moment and go, something's not right here. Uh, I, I I need to check in because this yeah. doesn't seem right. And you right. know what that is? You're questioning the system. Right, right. Well, the system also, I, I think the defense attorney, and, and I'm bringing this up because I, I want to frame it for not only looking at um, discussing healing from racism, but also looking at um, unconscious and conscious bias. Yes. The defense attorney is clearly putting out some um, – some are, some call it tropes. I call it unconscious bias, calls to an unconscious bias. Here's a scary black man on drugs. He's obviously dangerous. There's this group that's scary and swearing and, and, and the tensions were high and it was really all their fault. And you look at another where here's this jovial, gentle giant, you know, who an hour before was hugging and talking about baseball and football and yeah, he had an addiction, but it was because it was more self-medication to deal with his pain. You, know, you look at that and go, wow, you know, those are two very different views. Um, one, I believe, much more empathetic to seeing this person as a person, and the other is just a label um, that calls up fears. And we're really asking people when we're healing from racism is to address our fears. You know, what are we afraid of? Why do we automatically assume that because he's he's tall, that you know, and and he's a a big man, and he's black, he's going to be scary and and dangerous. I mean, he, Chauvin used the gun right away, knocking on the window without even you know, asking anything yeah. about who he is and what's going on. Just assumes, and it's that assumption. Why do we? I, I think there was more escalation there than de-escalation from the get-go. Right, and and the. Tw- it's just- Go ahead. The torture. Yeah. It's the torture of the things that were done were done maliciously. Well, they were done for power. I think they were done for power and control. I think they were done to show – and we have to talk about white supremacy. There there was this sense that he was going to be the big man there. And to be afraid of 12 people that included three teenage young women, and I'm going to call them children. They were 17 and a nine-year-old. So there's four – young woman, plus a first responder who was there to offer medical attention. So you've got five out of the 12 are young women. So almost half, they were dangerous. These were women that were trying to save his life. And and the the fire uh, woman that was there that was uh, medically able to, to give attention, she was being completely shut out. You are, you know, basically, we're ha- we have this under control. You do not need to interfere with this. You should not yes. be interfering. Totally blocking this woman's <laughs> opinion and her abilities. And I know that there's a lot of women out there that have had that same feeling where they could make a difference. If they could just be heard, they could make a yes. difference. 
And so half of these were women who were trying to help. Now, if a policeman can't handle, you know, half of a crowd that are young women that are trying to make a difference, I question whether or not he really is a peace officer. Oh, and you bring up a great point, right? The peace officer. Are you a peace officer or a police officer? And, you know, are these officers actually, like you, you said, Lori, did he come to defuse the situation? Was he coming there to de-escalate the situation? From what, what it looks like was that he was the person who escalated the situation and caused everyone um, harm in the whole like he caused so much trauma from from one person's in inaction or bad actions. We are all going through some, some we're all going to need some racial healing after right. this. I was right. actually looking at something that said that the the um people of color who are journalists who are working the Chauvin trial are being emotionally um, drained by this, having to cover this. Absolutely. Right. And it, and it may not be healing for them right now. This, no. This may be yet another trauma. I mean, there may come a point where all of this becomes part of the healing process. But even the, the journalists are, are getting hit with the trauma of over and over and over again, watching, um, you know, George lose his life in front of our eyes over and right. over. Right. And I think, too, we talked earlier a little bit about me being everyone's um, friend, and I, I don't mind being everyone's friend. I feel like I was, um, this is my calling, and I was called to do this work. But everyone is not called to do this work. Right, right. And for me, it's it's a form of resiliency. I practice self-care. I, I uh, speak to a therapist. I do yoga. I try to eat right. I try to sleep right so that these things don't impact me as much as they impact others. But as I mentioned, I was called for this. So I have a special resiliency that I believe that I can take this type of stuff mm -hmm. and not be as as traumatized as others. Well, and, Some... the, and and I think having a conversation, I mean, the the reporters have to just keep reporting over and over again. I, right. think, I think the healing has to do with part of the respectful conversations that we can have each other with each other, especially cross-racial conversations. And how do we yes. connect and how it can be hard to talk about it, but how do we practice it over and over so that it, it's no longer as hard? So with that, I'm going to close out this segment because we're running over, of course. We always do. Uh, <laughs> but when we come back, I want to open it up to the audience. We will, we're will. we happy to talk about um, any of the witnesses. The first week, we last week in particular, we talked about the, the witnesses that were there on the scene, and we can talk about them. We also this last week have had more of the law enforcement and the forensic specialists and the medical specialists. We can open up that conversation. Or you may have just a question for Melissa. Whatever you want, or, or me, uh, whatever. We're here to have a deeper conversation about racism and race. Um, we, Melissa and I will just start talking. <laughs> so you can call at any moment and, and interrupt the flow. Don't worry about that. Uh, come with your questions. Come with your ideas. Come with what you've been learning through all of this because we've all been impacted. And we want you to be part of the conversation. So stay with us. We'll be right back after just a few commercials. 
Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I am your host, Lori Fitz, and I have got a wonderful co-host and co-producer, Melissa Stanton-Adams, and she is the executive director and president of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. And we're talking about the Derek Chauvin case. Uh, We're continuing our conversation from last week, and we're going to be continuing next week as well. So thank you, Melissa, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Lori. I am so excited to be here. Um, We always have great conversations, and we were talking about two topics kind of twined together like a ball. Mm -hmm. We're talking about racial healing. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, we're talking about the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd or for the death of George Floyd um, back in the spring of 2020. Now, many people are wondering, what are they saying in the courtroom? Some of this stuff is kind of technical. Some of it is a little confusing. So I think Lori and I decided, let's help folks out. Let's give them some of the information in a way that they can understand it. So I appreciate being here with you today, Lori. I really am um, excited to learn whether anyone's called in. Not yet, but I haven't given the number. So I'm going to give the number now, uh, 952-946-6205. Again, that number is 952-946-6205. And the goal of our show is to just talk about it. You know, we, we want yeah. to get connected. Uh, we believe that racial healing, uh, an essential part of that is making the connection through conversation and being respectful and learning from each other. So we yes. want to open it up for folks to have that chance to share their ideas. It may be a reaction to any of the witnesses. It may be a reaction um, to the lawyers. It may be whatever that you want to say about this trial. We want to we hear from you. And again, that number is 952 952- Nine four six six two zero five. In thinking back, um, and last week we focused more on the the witnesses who were at the scene. Was there anything this week that struck you in thinking back um, on those witnesses? Oh, from well, go for it. I think the the witness that really I think if anyone um, made and left an indelible mark on us, it would have been the gentleman. Um, who was actually one of the first bystanders or first witnesses on the scene. And um, his his name is eluding me, but it was the older gentleman. Char- it's funny, the- I had the same one. Tra- that was one that I thought about this last week. Charles, Charles McMillan. Yeah, yeah. He was the first witness on the scene. And after uh, officers had escorted George Floyd from across the street where he was um, sitting. Mm-hmm. Now, that that gentleman had to pause and and he started crying on the stand when they showed the video again um and it just you could see the grief yeah he just left a very very impression a big impression on me that they said let's take a 10 minute recess yeah that's how powerful he was it it really hit me as well he was trying to tell George, you can't win. And and yet um, when George responded, it was like, I'm, I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to breathe. Right. You know, I'm just trying to breathe. I can't breathe and I can't get up. I can't get up. And at, at, And you could see how this gentleman was really trying to work through keeping 
the peace. De- he was really trying to de-escalate the situation. And this is a man who lived through a lot of Jim Crow racism through the years. Exactly. That's what and, I was going to say. Yeah. And trying to like, how do we how do we just not, you know, how can we all go home tonight was really his big. And and he said to to Chauvin, you know, at the end of the day, you got to go home to your family safe. And I want everyone to go home to their family safe. Now, he, I think, in that moment did not feel safe. And did not feel safe around the police. But when he was able to get up on the stage or I'm stage on the when he was, you know, in the um, the witness seat on the stand, when he was on the stand on the witness seat, he was able to say, I got to look at you today as a maggot. Yeah. And to me, it was struck me as sometimes in the moment we may be afraid to say something. We don't we don't feel safe. And we feel uncomfortable. We can do our best to keep it safe for everyone. But there may come a time when you do feel safe that you can say more. And, mm-hmm. and not to feel guilty that maybe in the moment when it was scary. I mean, this was a high you – know, you watched a man die. I mean, this was a scary moment. And we may not have to watch a man die, but we can be in an uncomfortable situation and not know what to do but try and keep the peace. But there can be follow-up. You don't have to stay in that place. If it's in your mm-hmm. heart that something was wrong and you need to say something to someone, help support that opportunity to make it happen. Right. And I think part of the challenge for for all of us in this whole thing is that we've witnessed these things before in the past and we've, we've not seen these trials the way we see it today. Mm-hmm. We've not been able to sit in the courtroom and listen to the witnesses' testimony. And my biggest challenge is that I think about the Philando Castile trial mm-hmm. and how Officer, former Officer Yanez, um, walked after shooting into a car with a, a child in it. And I just, I'm not sure if. I, I still have a little reluctance, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people in the African-American community who witness these things who still have a little bit of reluctance that that the, the result that we're expecting will be the result that we get. Well, with that, why don't we go into our next segment and start off talking with uh, about Chief Arredondo and how what what he presented, which is one of the first times we've seen – a police, you know, be able to uh, have testimony against a policeman. The blue wall right. may be coming down and and telling the truth at this point uh, about what did happen and why it happened and uh, and and at least hear from other policemen their um, reaction to what happened, which I think is very powerful. So if you have uh, an idea that you want to share with us about that, or you want to talk with us, we're opening the lines, 952-946-6205. Call in. We want to talk to you. Uh, And stay with us. Uh, We'll be right back after some commercials, and we'll be starting to talk about this week's uh, witnesses, and we'd love to have you be part of the conversation. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. 
And this morning's co-host and co-producer is Melissa Stanton-Adams, who is the president and executive director of the Staten Adams Diversity Institute. And we've been talking about racial healing, unconscious bias, and the Derek Chauvin case. And Melissa, you were yes. starting to talk about law enforcement in our last segment. And yes. we're going to go into talking about uh, Chief Arradondo. But tell us more about your thoughts about law enforcement. So at this point, as we watch this trial, it can be very um, traumatizing for people of color, specifically people in the African-American community. And I can tell you that there are some rumblings in the African-American community that this could possibly, with with so much police, I'll, I'll play devil, devil's advocate if, if I may, uh, with so many police coming out and saying that Derek Chauvin was wrong, completely wrong, 100% wrong, it almost seems as if he could possibly be a scapegoat in this situation. So, and not have not have all of law enforcement take more ownership of the challenges that are taking place. Yes, yeah. right? Because it's not just about this one man doing this thing. It's about policing in general. And, 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 that, and it needs to be changed. You know? It needs to change. Yeah, yeah. The, the use of force techniques. Honestly, there are some, again, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. There are some in the um, African-American community who are talking about police abolishment. Yeah. And well, getting they, to the place where we have community um, involvement with policing our own communities, and, and for, for the lack of a better term. And different kinds of, you know, being able to hold people accountable besides use of force. You know, how, how right. do we... And I like what you said when you said peace officers. Yeah, it, we need to get back to peace officers who live in the community that are about creating peace. We And talking about community, we do have a caller from South Minneapolis, and his name's Walt. Walt, thank you for joining us today. Uh, hello, thank you for the program. I have a, a comment. Uh, uh, following the trial, I see a, um, a need for a change in culture, and it's a culture, a uh, uh, change of the whole society with respect to how much we love violence, mm. and more specifically, the same thing within the police department. And as an example, I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that in recent weeks, the prosecution has had several uh, police officials uh, testifying, or officers, mm-hmm. um, not on the beat, but higher up, uh, for the case of the prostitu- uh, for the prosecution, and... Um, Two of them, at least, if not more, have acknowledged that uh, citizens at a crime scene with cameras represent a threat to the police officers. Thank you, and I'll listen to your comments. Oh, no, no, no. Stay with us. We stay with us. Um, Melissa, why don't you go for it? Oh, my goodness. And he, it's true. Yeah. They are a threat. Because that's a threat right there is holding people accountable. But it's a good threat. It's like that good trouble threat. I mean, I, yes, I, it's I, like I, the good trouble that John it, Lewis spoke of. Right. I mean, it, it, and we need, and I, I really appreciate what Walt said in terms of um, we need to look at violence and how we accept violence and how we yes. perpetrate. Why a camera? There were there were two. He's right. There were two folks that did say that it could increase the potential violence. But uh, several others did say that it's their right. I mean, it, right. And I think 
in terms of it being a threat to police officers, mm-hmm. I see a camera at a, a police scene as much as a th- of a threat as I see a journalist at right. a police scene as a threat. It's Be- a positive threat. It's a it's they, a way to hold people accountable. Accountable. They're holding people accountable. And I if you're not doing as, any, if you're not doing anything wrong, then it's not. A why threat. are you? Right. It's not and a then threat. On top of that. How could a camera cause me to be violent? Right. So what it should do is say, oh, they're filming me. Let me pretend that I'm a good officer. Or let them be a good officer. (laughs) Let let them, you know, not need to have a camera make them pretend. It reminds me of Three's Company where Mr. Roper would look into the camera. (laughs) Right. So it's just like that. If the camera's on, you smile. You you, you should. You straight. should. But let, let's take it up to another level where they should not be afraid of a camera because they've been trained. Remember how that woman said, well, wouldn't you be uncomfortable if someone was shouting at you and filming you? And she said, no, I had, had the right training. I had the right training. Right. So I was confident in my choices. Miss Genevieve Hansen. Exactly. Yes. So. You know, why is it a woman can have a camera being pointed at her and shouted at? She can keep doing her job. But why did these policemen get uncomfortable with children filming them? Hey, I'll tell you this much. There are so many instances where people are pointing cameras and people are shouting. Have you ever seen any of the reality housewife shows? Well, yes, yes, but hopefully right. that's not reality <laughs> on that's the typical dist- corner. <laughs> Those I, women are not distracted by the camera. No, I tell you no. that much. They're not distracted by someone shouting at them or cursing at them or calling them names. No, right? no, and nor should any be one be anyone I mean, be. If you are doing your job, then you should not be afraid of being documented in what you're doing in your job. And right. if you and con- think- if you consider that video camera a threat, I'd encourage whoever is um, policing to do kind of a soul search. Yeah. Why are you worried about someone documenting? And I don't right. I, I think that it's almost the police not understanding that people can understand things can get out of control. We're aware of that, but this wasn't a situation where someone was under control, out of control. And this think, is a person you know, that Laurie, was handcuffed with a knee what? to his back, cutting off his lung and his respiration ability. That that I we even push back on things getting out of control. The officers are the ones who escalate yeah. these situations or can escalate. Yes, yes. right. And these, and these and they should be. Tra- they they have been trained to de-escalate, but it obviously did not happen in this situation. And I can't. I I don't want to say that all officers are doing this. I just want to say that you know, when we get into these situations. There is a choice that we can make. Mm-hmm. We can step into this situation as a learner, or we can step into this situation as a judger, mm-hmm. judging everything. So for for Mr. Chauvin to walk up to the to the car with his gun drawn to a closed window, right? Right. And the well, window and it, of the car wasn't. And even it gets back yet. to what Walt said in terms of um, glorifying violence. 
I mean, that, yes. that that's kind of a John Wayne glorifying violence. I'm going to pull out my gun and show like, you know, I'm, I'm the top gun. Oh, we have right. we have another caller. Um, Lynette is calling in. Lynette didn't get to call in last week. So, Lynette, I'm so glad that you get to call in this week. Lynette, how are you? Oh, and we lost her. <laughs> Poor Lynette. She's going to stop calling us because she's not going to be able to get through. But She's probably shy. Well, no, no, she's not. We'll get Lynette back. Um, And I think part of what we want to think about, too, as we look at this whole situation, how will this trial impact policing of the future? Right. And will it? You know, will people... Uh, will will this be a heads up? And, and I believe if there is a powerful enough uh, – at first, I hope that the jurors do the right thing and find him guilty. That's my personal opinion. And when they do, I hope that there's a penalty that's so large that people will take uh, – will think about that as they're doing their policing and use this as a cautionary tale of you do yeah. not want to be doing this kind of Well, crap. I also want to bring up the fact that we knew this was going to come up. The defense argued that, you know, over and over has argued that um, George Floyd's underlying medical problems and the drugs in his system were responsible for his death. And I just want to make a note to everyone that's listening. Um, Chauvin's actions to subdue Floyd is what killed him. Yeah. And it's what um, even so the, the medical examiner said. The cause of death right. was a homicide. This was not you know, a heart attack because of his bad heart or his the the drugs that were in his system. And they said very clearly that if uh, he had not had if a, a person a person would have died no matter if they had those underlying conditions or not with the, the lack of oxygen that was being presented by having his knee on his neck and his back. We have Lynette back. Lynette, are you with us? <laughs> Lynette, with you. Yes, you are. No. I appreciate your preservation for <laughs> perseverance. Oh, well, you know, technical difficulties happen. I understand. Well, Lynette, um, please share with us. What's your thoughts? Well, I saw an, um, a news story um, a few nights ago, and the St. Paul Police Department was wanting more women to be involved in their police department. And, you know, watching the the Derek Chauvin thing, I was thinking the same thing. I thought, you know, maybe if there would have been a woman police officer there, maybe it would have made a difference because, you know, the first thing that I saw that this that's the most heartbreaking to me is is when George Floyd is in his car and, of course, Derek Chauvin's coming up there with a gun, mm-hmm. you know, completely surprising people. Who wouldn't be surprised by that? And he's oh, yeah. just... He's not a threat at all. In fact, it's just he really, he really, you know, he's just so scared. Yeah. He's just so frightened. I mean, it's just how you can look at that situation and that man and go, oh, well, God, now i got to get in control. Because he really, it's just like, find out what's going on here. I mean, like, you know, okay, we got the bill. No one even looked at the bill. I mean, it's just... It was just so crazy from the very beginning. It was total escalation. And I just, I like to think that if there was a woman police officer there, maybe, you know, someone could just ask a question like, hey, you know, what's going on here? You know, how are you doing? Because he he just needed to be spoken to instead of just. Well, (sighs) what's interesting to me is the, the young man that took the $20 bill. He went out there twice. And he's not a big guy. And Mm -hmm. he had no problem communicating with him. He wasn't afraid of him. 
He yeah. kind of felt bad, like, you know, I don't know if he really knows that this $20 bill is a, a, you know, a forgery. I, you know, I'd probably let him, I want to let him know that this isn't good to be doing this. He mm-hmm. was doing it with a, a heart of trying to help him. Mm-hmm. And and I can't imagine what he feels, you know, and, and I do believe the community needs to support that young man and, and the trauma mm-hmm. he's going through and, and in uh, being part of something that he feels, you know, that he could not imagine that a man would die because yeah. of a $20 bill. But my point is, is that he went out to the car. And he, and so why is it that he could go out and have a conversation and the law enforcement couldn't? And aren't they mm-hmm. supposed to be trained to have these conversations? What pressure are yeah. we putting on these clerks and, and folks to make these kinds of decisions mm-hmm. about right. what to do? I, I think that needs to be looked at as much as the law enforcement needs to be looked at. What, why do we expect? I mean, it, it is illegal to you know charge that back. But he was threatened that if he didn't get it straightened out, it would be taken out of his paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. But to your original point, I would hope that a woman would be able to do a better job in creating a connection and communication. However, I also felt really bad that the woman who was there wasn't being listened to. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, well, yeah. can can the woman be respected in the team? There was a team of four there. Would right. she have been better heard right. with a group? Right. Maybe. I would hope she would because she's, you know, wearing the blue. But right. who knows? You know, the woman right. who, who was saying, hey, I'm a first responder. I can help. She was being dismissed. Well, maybe if there was more women there than just one woman yeah. and three men. Yeah. Um, because I think that's what the point of the, the news story I was saying is they just they just realize that, that women are better communicators and men uh, sometimes are just not. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately... Well, I think part of it, too, is I don't know if it's about the genders, but I do know that you brought up a great point, Renette. Asking a question. When Mm -hmm. we see the car door closed and we see that gun come out, Mm -hmm. what question did you ask him that made you feel you needed to draw your gun? No question was asked. When we go into situations like this, in any situation, each of us has a choice to be a learner or a judger. A judger goes in and they're gun drawn the door's yeah. still closed. The window's still up. I got my gun out because I know something's wrong here, and I'm going to solve this problem with this gun. Mm-hmm. And, and a learner goes to that door, taps on the window, and says, excuse me, roll down your window, sir. That's a formality. Yeah. Roll down your window, sir. Yeah. Yes, we need to talk to you. Could you step out the car? But I also These think it, questions. It, it's, it's part of the fear thing. Why did he automatically go into the fear where he had to show that he had power? And, and why, that's it. And why can't, the power. There, why can't there be power in communication? You know, why can't there be power in seeking to understand? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I do think women tend to, maybe it's because we're not listened to, <laughs> that we are, want to be heard and we want to hear others. We know what that feels like. And so we reach out and want to connect more. Um, but it's sad. The women do, do have a tendency to want to build more connection. And part of that is in asking questions. That's how we get connected to other people. Yeah. Right. Um, but I see Chauvin's actions as sort of that John Wayne shoot first and ask questions later kind of 
Yeah. Why was the gun out? That's yeah. my question, right? Well, we have another caller. Uh, I'm going to have Catherine. I, I wonder if this is Catherine, who is my uh, uh, nurse that um, gave a shot to my husband. Is it Catherine? Is that you? It sure is, Lori. Oh, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, first, thank you for all that you do. We appreciate yes. that. Yes, Catherine, thank you. It's an honor. Thank you so much, Laurie. I just want to reach out to you and Jess. It was quite a pleasure working with you. Well, you you were um, you were so helpful, and you had such an ease in educating, and it was and you made the experience very very exciting and very happy for my husband. He was just, as you could see, very excited to get his shot. So thank you for that. Did, and can I say, if you're reluctant to get the vaccine, you see people like Catherine are out there to help us. Yes. I've got my shot. I am a proponent for getting the shot. If you've got a chance to get the shot, please go down and get that shot so that we can all be vaccinated and get back to some sort of normalcy. Catherine, would you like to give um, a shout out to anyone in our audience about uh, coming down and getting a shot? Definitely. I want to give a shout out to everybody. Um, it takes all of us, it takes a village to get this pandemic under control. I'm very thankful. I'm very encouraged by the turnout that we're seeing at the centers where we're giving shots out. And um, if you have any, um, any issues you might have with the vaccine, we're ready to answer them. And uh, people who need support, Laurie was there holding Jeff's hands right along. And it's we're going to make it easy for you. And like I said, everybody should come out and get the vaccine. And we're here. We're in this together. Thank you, Catherine. And we're going to end Thank this you, segment Catherine. with, with Catherine's shout out to our audience to go get your vaccine. And you'll meet lovely people like Catherine. Catherine, thank you for all that you do. And we'll be right back after a few short commercials. Well, we're back. We have just about a little over a minute to wrap up our show. Uh, we have our co-host and co-producer, Melissa Stanton-Adams, who's the president and executive director of Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. You can learn more about Stanton-Adams to go to stantonadams.com. Melissa, we've got a minute. What kind of wrap-up do you want to do for this show? And I also want to let folks know next week we'll be continuing this conversation. Just that. Stick with us. Yeah. Lori and I are taking you on a racial healing journey. We'll have these conversations and we would love for you to join us. Just keep calling in and keep learning. Keep reaching out. Keep trying to be a better person. And this week's going to be a tough one. Um, we may have the uh, defense starting and it may be difficult to hear some of the unconscious bias. Uh, it yes. may be re-traumatizing um, or traumatizing as we watch it. But uh, do your best to stay healthy, stay centered, uh, stay well, and stay with us, like uh, our friend Melissa said. Come back with your ideas, your conversations, your reactions, and next week we'll continue our conversation about racial healing and learning to have the good conversation. Have a great week, and we'll be back next. Thank you.